before we get started with this week's episode of Rising as One podcast, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising, the Beautiful Game Network, and Oro Brewing Company. You can check out Firebird Rising on the web at firebirdrising.corair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm, and Oro Brewing Company is located in downtown Mesa, so if you're out in the East Valley, go check them out, and remember to use the code word RISING after any Phoenix Rising win for happy hour pricing. We would also like to thank our listeners for the continued support. If you enjoy this podcast, please do us a favor and leave us some feedback on iTunes or drop us a line on Twitter at RisingPod. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns and I'm back again with Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing? It's great to be back again. Yeah, tough uh, circumstances last week that I couldn't be with you guys, but uh, it's great to be back again. It's great to be able to talk soccer with with the fans and talk Phoenix Rising and and just kind of look back at a season of of enjoyment and... uh, Let's get rolling on. Yeah, and we do have a lot to cover today. Before we do get all into team news and a bunch of stuff about the season, you'll notice that one person is not with us today, and that's Matt Trainer. Um, Matt actually reached out to us a couple weeks ago, and, you know, his life is getting very busy, uh, recently married, and there's a lot on his plate, so he actually let us know he will not be returning to the podcast for next season. Uh, but we really appreciated working with him. And if you guys ever want to see him, you'll still see him up in the stands. He's always in the supporter section uh, right behind the south goal. Usually one of the back rows. So uh, if you want to say hi to him, stop by, give him your appreciation. You can definitely do that next season, and I'm assuming many seasons to come. Uh we really appreciated all the moments that we had there and i'm sure you can back me up on that jeff yeah i you know i i appreciate everything that matt's done i totally understand what he's going through with everything you know not only personal life but going you know going through his other struggles as well and and you know matt's such a great stand-up guy and has always been there for us you know no matter what the situations have always been uh, you know, we wish Matt nothing but the best of luck. You know, I've met his, I've met his wife, and she's a wonderful lady, and and I know that that they have some great things, you know, ahead for them as well. And, and I know Matt's got some other great things on the horizon for him as well. But you know, for for the efforts that he put together for us over the past year, you know, nothing but love and appreciation and thanks. And Matt's always welcome on this show whenever he gets a chance. So we'll, we'll never forget that for sure. No, we won't. Um, so moving moving to, you know, another topic with the podcast. We're always trying to improve, just like Sam Dorr with his statement right after the season ended. We are always looking to improve and build upon what we have so far. So we're going to brainstorm during this offseason, see what we can do to better serve the Phoenix Rising community. Um, and that could include more interviews during the offseason 
It could include some actual Rising as One merchandise. We're going to put a poll up on the Twitter page pretty soon and see what people have to say about that. Potentially doing some koozies, maybe some scarves, maybe some t-shirts. Um, see if there's any interest in that. And then if there is, maybe we can go from there. Maybe do some live episodes next year as well. Um, that would be really a fun idea that we need to look into. So, you know, just like the team is always looking to improve on the field and off, we are going to try to do the same for our show. And, I mean, we're going to do the best we can. So, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of great things to look forward to next year. But, with all that being said, let's get into some team news. And Jeff, why don't you take us through some of that? Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about some of the interesting news that we've seen over the last uh, week to ten days since the season closed out against Swope Park Rangers. Obviously, you know if you're you're one of those that follows uh, Twitter and uh, uh, Instagram on a regular basis, you've kind of seen uh, some some goodbyes from from Peter Ramage, from uh, Jordan Stewart, from uh, Eric Ariola or Edder Ariola. I'm sorry. You know, three good guys, three good stand-up guys that that are great individuals. I mean, you, you look at Peter's uh, Instagram post, and he's just a nice shot of an empty stadium, and just saying how he's loved every minute of being here. Uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, a dream to be able to play here and play, you know, play in soccer in America. And you know, I I think it's great to see these guys come out and thank the fans and thank the people that have been there the most for them. Uh, it's sad to see these guys go. I mean, obviously Peter Ramage and Jordan Stewart meant such a huge impact to the center of the defensive back four of this club. I mean, obviously going forward, Duigi Mala is going to be probably one of those guys you're going to lean on heavily next year. But now to try to find another pairing of a, a central defender for him will be obviously key next year. Um, it looks like Amadou Dia is going to be back. He he had an, uh, an Instagram post saying how much he wants to make a run for, for next year. Uh, you know, we, we obviously don't know what Didier Drogba's status is going to be. You know, we don't know what Sean Wright Phillips' status is going to be. Uh, it'd be great to get Luke Rooney back up from his knee injury to see how he could. I mean, that would be a that would be a dream pairing to see Luke Rooney and and Didier Drogba in the center of the park. That would be something great to see. But you know, who knows where we go from here? But it, you know, I think you know, starting with with those four players. I mean, that's an interesting group of guys right there that have, that have been along the back line that uh, that you know, will probably have the biggest impact moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, it bears repeating, just like this year, where we didn't even know the names of a lot of players that ended up making a huge impact by the end of the season. We might not know some of our heroes next season. Uh, there have been a couple people saying that we're going to look to continue getting younger and continue bringing in young foreign talent. And... You know, with Patrice Carterone's past success and with his connections, I have no doubt we'll bring in some names that can make an impact, and it'll just be really fun to see what those names are. Uh, another thing with Team News, I know that they've been saying it already. I know you guys have heard this before. Get season tickets. Recently, it was announced that we're going to be playing three MLS teams during the preseason when it comes out to Arizona. That would be either late February or early March and they're trying to do at least one of those at the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex so 
that should be a big selling point. Also, it was released that there's going to be an awesome Didier Drogba bobblehead that is complimentary with season ticket purchases. A really special edition one of him. It looks like him sliding after that goal in LA against LA2, the night where he hit that unbelievable free kick. I think that was the pose right there of him sliding. Um, you know, incredible attention to detail. If you guys are interested to see what this looks like, check out Sam Dor on Twitter or our page, Rising as One, at Rising Pod, because um, we, we, we tweeted that once we saw it. That's something cool. And then one other thing, if you're curious about season tickets, next Saturday, November 11th, from 10 to noon, there will be an open house at the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex that's located right by the 202 and the 101. If you're going on the 202, you get off at McClintock if you're heading east, and it's it's right there along McClintock. Uh, they're going to have all sorts of stuff. I think a bounce house for kids and representatives to answer any questions. So great opportunity, you know, whether you're a newcomer or a returning season ticket holder. Sounds like a great event. Yeah, it also sounds like they're going to have some giveaways out there as well for season ticket holders as well as uh, people who purchase uh, season tickets that day. It looks like they're going to have some raffles for some different things going on out there as well. Um, but, yeah, you know, great opportunity. Something you've never seen from previous management before. You know, select. You know, great to have them see, have selected seat days. Have them out to the complex and let them see what it's like and, and see what the opportunities are going to be. It's also going to be interesting to see. I mean, I know it's been talked about in the past, but will there be expansion to the stadium to go to a bigger size and possibly more seats being added? We haven't heard any official confirmation on that yet, but there had always been talk in the past as to whether they would up the the uh, stadium size, and, and, and we'll see if that plays any impact on this upcoming uh, open house that they're talking about as well. Yeah, and we know we've heard it from Burke before, we've heard it from Sam Dorr before, uh, David Rappaport. They are very willing to expand the stadium capacity, and they can do so very easily. It really just comes down to interest from fans like you, and if there is enough interest, then they can do that, make it an even more inclusive uh, stadium so we can get more people in there. Because I know from my experience, once I get friends in there, they get hooked. So that's, you know, hopefully you can drag some friends to this open house and convince them that this is a decision they got to make because it has been a blast this season. Uh, and, you know, speaking of a guy we just name dropped, Sam Dorr, if you guys missed it, we had a great interview last week with this podcast. Um, he dropped some incredible nuggets. That's the vice president of sales and marketing with Phoenix Rising, by the way. Um, that's where he mentioned the Didier Drogba bobblehead. He mentioned there will be no copper in the 2018 jersey scheme not as a uh, accent color or on a third kit or anything he also did hint at the fact that in 2019 that looks like it's going to be part of the uniform scheme mentioned some other cool things too his background with san antonio fc some advantages to actually being in usl as opposed to mls kind of interesting you don't hear that too often and gets into how he expects the team to improve on the field, off the field, and really just building the brand and increasing name recognition around town. So, great interview, must listen, and I think that does it for team news. 
a couple more things to talk about actually real quick um if uh you didn't see during the playoff week that of the announcement uh you know phoenix rising is team with just sports uh as the official uh clothing outfitter of the club uh check out all the gear there uh, i was at a couple of places yesterday and definitely had a very nice selection of of apparel uh not just hats but shirts and jerseys sweatshirts uh you know a great a, a great looking setup that they had at a couple of places even talked to a fan out there at one of the stores and we talked for a good half an hour just about phoenix rising soccer in general so i mean it's great to hear fans even though the season's over with fans are still talking about soccer wanting to to be a part of of phoenix rising and being a part of this club that's a great thing to hear i mean you never heard things like that in the past and that's a great you know a great selling point to tell people to to go and see a game or to to go experience something like that you know you have an apparel line now that people see it and oh yeah i went to a game earlier this year and i can't wait to go back next year and that you know you never heard that in the past and that's such a great thing to hear and also if you're trying to buy things online maybe you're too busy to make it out to one of the just sports locations have no fear the phoenix rising uh, store has been updated on the website and they have some really great stuff um, some awesome hats sweaters uh, shirts jackets men women and children so many options so definitely give that a look if you can't make it into one of the store locations yeah and then the other uh, interesting little t- uh, piece of team news that uh, got released earlier this week uh, Blair Gavin has made the decision to uh, step aside from playing soccer and to join the coaching staff for Phoenix Rising. I think this is a great move uh, from the club. I mean, bringing somebody, you know, with local ties in. I know I remember a couple years ago when, when Scott Morrison had finally decided, you know, he didn't want to play anymore for Arizona United, that they transferred him kind of over to the to the coaching staff. And I know how things shook out there. But I think bringing Blair Gavin on as an assistant, I think, will be a great move. I mean, he was such a, an influential person sitting in that defensive midfield holding position. You know, he, he was able to see the game from such a, a a wonderful spot sitting there in that position. And and I think, you know, his experience in playing there, his experience in playing, you know, all over the states, I think is going to definitely be a big help as he transitions to being a coach, joining, you know, Rick Schantz on the bench, joining Corey Robertson, joining Patrice Carteron. I think that's going to make for an even stronger staff as they go forward next year. No disagreement there. And I think that's going to take us into some USL news. And so it really hasn't felt like there is still a USL season going on now that our team is out. But there still have been matches and the USL Cup has been set. It's going to be Swope Park Rangers versus Louisville City for that USL Cup. Both teams getting through some really difficult matchups in the conference finals. Um, Swope Park Rangers got by Oklahoma City in penalty kicks. It was a scoreless match. They win the PK shootout 7-6. So they get by two PK shootouts in their three matches. They beat Sacramento 1-0 in the second round to get to the conference finals. And if you're wondering what happened to San Antonio, they lost to Oklahoma City. It was a 1-1 match, and they lost in penalties at home. 
to the six-seeded Oklahoma City Energy. Um, we had a little fun side bet. Uh, myself and a big San Antonio fan that enjoys our podcast. You can find them at Ramen Cole on Twitter. But we had a pepper challenge going back to June, and basically it was if San Antonio made the Western Conference Finals, I'd have to eat a spicy pepper. If they didn't, he would. And sure enough, they lose in the conference semis. That means he will. And you can probably find that video in the next couple days of him eating a spicy pepper. You remember all year, Jeff. I was saying I just didn't like their style. I didn't think it would work out too well in the playoffs. And I was vindicated, was I not? Yep, sure enough. Sure enough. I mean, we kept we kept thinking. I mean, I, I thought they were going to lose in the first round when they were struggling against... Uh, uh, the the seven seed you know there, and uh, in Tulsa, yeah, and boy that was, a, you know that was a that was a rough match in itself. That went right down to the end, went to OT, and you know, I I you know I, I agreed with you all year long that something had to give at some point, and obviously it was it was their goal scoring ability that gave. I mean their defense didn't didn't break as much. I mean, we, but we knew that that was going to happen because with, you know, with Diego Restrepo is a great goalkeeper. I mean, you knew that, that, you know, they were solid back there. It was going to be a matter of finding the back of the net. And obviously they couldn't in the, you know, the two matches that they played. And, and so, you know, Hey, best of luck to them down there. I mean, we can't wait to see how that, uh, how the pepper challenge is going to turn out in the end here. Yeah. Um, that was a funny way to uh, see him slide into the DMs like that, asking where he could find such a spicy pepper. But out east, I almost called the Eastern Conference perfectly. I did better than a couple of my podcasting brothers in crime. I had Louisville City winning it, and I had Tampa Bay over Cincy in the first round, which happened. The only match I got wrong was New York Red Bulls 2 beating the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the second round. They advanced to the conference finals, and that's where Louisville City just edged him out in a PK shootout yesterday, uh, saving us all from what would have been a pretty dreary USL Cup rematch between two MLS developmental sides. Um, you know, I saw something on Twitter the other day, and I think this is a good point. One of our, you know, very diehard fans often listens to the pod, a fellow riser, John McPherson. Uh, he quoted a tweet that Sporting Kansas City put out where they said, you know, seven Sporting Kansas City players are going down for Swope for the Western Conference final match. Good luck to these guys. Well, John quotes this tweet and says, you know, this is a real issue. The USL rosters need to be set before the playoffs start. And, I mean, just thinking about it, isn't that what they do in other sports? That's definitely what they do in baseball. You have to cut down to a 25-man playoff roster. Uh, it seems pretty logical, no? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they should have, you know, I'll have to go back and look at the USL uh, media guide and look at what their restrictions or what their rules are on, on first-team players playing, you know, in, in the USL, you know, whether they're free to roam or, or whether they have to play X amount of games or whether they have to, to be a certain, you know, age limit or something like that. It'll be interesting to read, to go back and read all that just to see what it is. But no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, bringing seven players down to, to challenge, you know, I don't think that's necessarily right. It takes away from somebody like a Carlton Belmar, for example. I know even though he played most of the game, 
he could probably be one of those guys that that could be subject to be sitting out just because you're bringing players down from the first team roster, you know. And <clears throat> if the purpose of the league is to uh, to grow your talent, then you're not growing your talent if you're bringing players down, you know. If they've been down there for four, five, six weeks, okay, then I can understand it. But if you're only bringing them down for one or two games just to play for a championship, no, I, I disagree with that. And You know, you would think, Swope Park Rangers would think better of it, but I guess if you're a two-team chasing a title, any title is a good title. So, Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, and honestly, I would welcome these set rosters because it would force these teams to make some tough decisions. If you have a guy who's on the fringes of the first team and you know he could start for that USL side, maybe you have to set a roster by the end of September and now you have an actual decision to make. I think it encourages more strategic decision making and I'm all for that. I think that makes things more fun. Um, but yeah, just being able to put people down like that at the last second, um, just something, something rose me the wrong way about that. But anyways, that's how the USL playoffs are going. It's going to be Swell Park Rangers versus Louisville City for the for the USL Cup. And, you know, we were talking about this before we went on air. That could have so easily been us in Swope's place. Don't you agree? Oh, I totally agree. I mean, you know, if, if you're not playing a two get if you're not playing a two day game, I mean, obviously, we'll still wonder if Jason Johnson would have would have come out and played that second 45 minutes, obviously, you know, because of the injury. But, you know, I think Hamilton would have hung on for a while and it would have given uh, Carter on a different situation. But, you know, like we've said a number of times, you know, you, you can't change what's happened in the past. You know, I think it just gives us the motivation as we move forward into next year is to you know knowing what we can do knowing what we can accomplish knowing where we've been and that's just going to make things you know even greater as we go forward next year right and you know you can you can say well what if you know we would have had the sacramento match at home as it turned out we would have had the oklahoma city match at home i really would have loved our chances in both those but like you're saying what's done is done but as you also said we can use that as motivation and i think i think the guys that are returning to this team i think the coaching staff will use that as motivation um to control the things you can control and you know really just take that out on the rest of the league next year um we were really getting glimpses of what we were capable of and you know, unfortunately, some circumstances in Kansas City prevented things from fully materializing this season, but I have no doubt that we will continue in the right direction moving forward. And this kind of gets us into thinking about the USL next season. One really important thing in that story is the NASL's antitrust suit that they filed against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Now, 90% of you guys are probably hearing that sentence thinking, what the hell is he talking about? What the hell does NASL have to do with USL? What the hell are we talking about an antitrust suit for? Neither of these parties of USL, what, what are we doing here? 
Well, this is actually pretty damn important because a month ago, or I should say two months ago, back in September, U.S. Soccer Federation dropped NASL down to a Division Three classification for next year. You might remember last December they were given a temporary Division Two standing along with USL. Uh, both leagues were given that Division Two status, and the NASL was none too pleased about that because prior they had been the Division Two league and the USL had been D3. Well, the season goes on. NASL only has eight teams, and we have 30. So uh, with announcements during the season with expansion teams coming in in Fresno, in Las Vegas, in Nashville, and then even future ones in Austin and Birmingham, and meanwhile you have rumors of the San Francisco Deltas folding in NASL. So what's the U.S. Soccer Federation going to do there? They're going to drop them to Division Three because the U.S. Soccer Federation deemed that NASL was not meeting the requirements for Division Two status. And if you're curious, you can go find those online. Uh, just look up U.S. Soccer Federation Division Two requirements. There will be many articles about it written by people that care about it way more than they should. Uh, so, <laughs> getting back to this suit, NASL is pissed, obviously, because they're thinking, damn, we're going to be D3 now. This is going to really threaten our league, which they're not wrong. My response is, if you want to be Division 2, put a product out there that is going to convince USL to say, damn, they are meeting our requirements, let's give them Division 2. Because soccer is growing in this country, and you need to grow your league if you want to continue staying in Division 2. It's not a birthright. So they, they bring this case to a federal judge, and she heard arguments this week. Margot Brody. She heard arguments from both sides in New York, and then the NASL basically was saying it would endure irreparable harm by not regaining Division 2 designation. It alleged that the U.S. Soccer Federation is engaged in a conspiracy along with MLS and USL, all to prevent NASL from maintaining that second division status, uh, basically trying to box them out. But, you know, Judge Brody says, look, NASL, you haven't showed you're entitled to relief. You haven't proven a conspiracy. And this is what her quote was. Although the court finds that the plaintiff, NASL, has shown irreparable harm, that the balance of hardships tips in its favor, and that an injunction would not harm the public interest, because as set forth below, the court finds that the plaintiff has not made a clear showing of entitlement to relief, so the court denies the plaintiff's motion for a preliminary injunction. The preliminary injunction would have forced them to... forced the U.S. Soccer Federation to keep them in Division Two. NASL was disappointed with it, obviously. They're going to still pursue antitrust claims. They're going to try to appeal this, but the... I, I don't know what legal remedies they have here. This doesn't look like a great situation for them. Um, because really, instead of this being you know, decided by a jury, it's just one judge hearing the arguments making this ruling, and it's really tough to get that kind of a precedent overturned. So... I mean, she she gives she gives a little bit more reasoning uh, for the decision. She's saying that uh, NASL's request it was more similar to 
a request for reinstatement of previously terminated benefits. Well, the U.S. Soccer Federation has the right to, you know, terminate benefits for a league if they're not meeting standards. The league isn't being forced to fold. It's just going to have to go down a division because they didn't meet those requirements. And they weren't taking steps to meet those requirements, and the USL was. I mean, that's, that's, I'm sorry, but that's what's happening. You can see it in the attendance numbers. You can see it in the number of teams. Um, this was the U.S. Soccer Federation's statement on this, because this just happened two days ago on Friday. U.S. Soccer's responsibility is to ensure the long-term stability and sustainability of all pro leagues operating in the United States, as well as the teams that compete within those leagues. After providing numerous opportunities over the years for the NASL to meet the professional league standards or at least provide a pathway to meet those standards, the elected and independent members of the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors ultimately made a decision not to sanction the NASL as a D2 league. The decision was made in the best interest of soccer in the U.S., and today's decision confirms it was the correct decision. U.S. Soccer is committed to finding ways to improve the long-term viability of all leagues and terms, and by doing so, continue building upon the growth of soccer in the U.S. U.S. Soccer is committed to working with NASL as it considers its future. So, that's a lot of words, obviously. But the takeaway here is, the NASL had a very uphill battle. They had to prove four or five points to get this preliminary injunction granted, and they can only prove three of those points. They could not prove clearly that they would win on the merits with a jury so the motion was denied and they couldn't prove that there was a conspiracy so their their request was denied um you know tough stuff nasl but uh i think if you're gonna be a neutral party and just look at the claim that the nasl was bringing they didn't do enough and you know the judge from the eastern district of new york agrees so what does all that mean you're still probably thinking what 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 does this matter? Well, North Carolina FC is already saying that they're going to join the USL next year. So that's another expansion team getting chopped away from an ASL. It's already being widely speculated that San Francisco Deltas will have to fold after this season. They've not even been getting like 1,500 fans a match at Kieser Stadium. And now you're looking at only six teams. So what's the league going to do? Well, the league might have to go down to the National Independent Soccer Association, a D3 league. Some of those teams might decide, hey, USL is a better option at this point. I'm looking at you in the 11 that actually is getting decent attendance. Um, and so those are options, too. Maybe Edmonton ends up joining that Canadian Premier League that's coming in soon. So there are different options here. But... This is bad news for NASL and great news for USL. It also means that the USL is going to get pretty big in the next couple years. So much so that they might want to consider a pro rel within USL because it's going to get up to 40 teams soon. I mean, these are bigger picture things, but I don't know if you have anything to add here, Jeff. It's just, I think for people that really were following this closely, it's very. It was a very important decision, and it really solidifies the USL as, you know, the league right below MLS, and really solidifies its future 
and our future as a USL member. Yeah, it's definitely interesting in the fact that, you know, now it's going to create one separate Division Two, which is what they've been, you know, which is what U.S. soccer's been wanting all along. They never wanted two Division Two uh, leagues, you know, participating against each other, you know, and even if you go back to last year before this all even started, I mean, there was a chance that teams from the NASL were going to join with the USL anyways, and they were talking about joining and being one league together. But people from the NASL didn't like the idea and still wanted to stick it out on their own. Well, you know what? They're going to pay the price for it now, and and now USL is going to eventually get what they want out of this whole thing, which is basically teams from the NASL coming into their league, getting those expansion fees, getting those rights fees, getting everything that they wanted, they're going to come out on top of this whole thing, and the, and the NASL is going to suffer. You know, great for USL. What is this all going to mean years down the line? Now, they've for years talked about possibly going to a three-conference format. That could still be something that could happen, too. I mean, you know, pick up some teams in this Midwestern block, and, and you know, like in the 11, you know, like uh, San Antonio Scorpions, you know, were talked about. I don't know if they're going to end up folding either, or you know, you know, will will San Francisco fold? You know, we won't know answers like that, and you know, for a couple of months down the road, most likely. But does this, you know, I think you have an interesting, you know, theory with Pro Rel within Division Two. I think that'd be great. Now, are they going to try to set up Pro Rel between Division Two and Division Three? Who knows, you know. But obviously, they're trying to set up, you know, their Division Three setup for 2019, you know, and have, and them have minimum uh, ownership requirements, stadiums, you name it, whatever the case. Maybe that's where the setup begins for the Pro Rel is what they're trying to do in the background to get 2019 prepared, you know, for D3 and to see some of these D2 teams, you know, that aren't quite making the cut or even say some of these MLS two teams that USL feels aren't meeting certain requirements that they've asked for, that they asked them to move down to division three. And could you see things happen from then and there? That's possible. I mean, I'm sure everything is on the table when you talk about those things, you know, but as you look forward to 2018, you know, obviously with Fresno coming into the league with Las Vegas coming into the league, uh, with Vancouver leaving, uh, you know, obviously that, you know, puts the Western Conference sitting at 16 teams right now. Who knows where it ends up before March begins. But, you know, I think we'll be able to create some great natural rivalries between those two teams. I mean, obviously with Fresno, you've got to remember Frank Yallop is running the soccer operations up there in Fresno. I mean, you've seen all the recent successes in Vegas not only with the NHL team, but with the, the upcoming of the, of the Raiders moving to L.A. Uh, you know, they handle themselves with big events in, in town. They're going to play at Cashman Field, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think a great natural rivalry, rivalry there is going to be good, too. Do you mind if I make one more point about the, the NASL? Yeah, go right ahead. And just, just one last. So... I was actually talking with a couple friends about how do you build soccer in more cities around the country. And, you know, this is something that the USL 
has understood and the NASL did not. You need to build it in cities where, you know, mid-sized cities, where there is a fan base that could support a team really well, where it would be one of the biggest things in town and it would bring a community together. The NASL never reached out to places like Boise, Idaho, Albuquerque, New Mexico, you know, a Birmingham, Alabama, which is getting a USL side now. Uh, you look out east, you know, maybe maybe like a Lexington, Kentucky, those kinds of places where, okay, maybe maybe even a West Virginia franchise where it's not the biggest thing going on, but you can reach out to this community, get a team there, and have the community rally around it. And you saw USL do that with Reno. You're seeing them do it now with Austin. You're seeing them do it with Birmingham. They got it. They realized that they had to go out to these places. There's going to be a USL D3 team in Albuquerque, I believe. The USL understands how to build its brand, and the NASL stupidly decided we are going to put teams in existing markets already. We're going to create this California Republic team. Southern California doesn't give a crap whether you have four teams or five teams in the market. They have Galaxy, they have LAFC now, they're going to have Orange County SC still, and they're going to have Los Dos, plus all sorts of other club teams. And there's even already a team in Orange County. So you're going to put another team in North Orange County? Give me a break. There are so many markets that the NASL could have gone to and could have tried to develop and they didn't do it and now they're just they're just crying wolf they're saying look USL US Soccer Federation you guys conspired against us you conspired against yourselves by not broadening your horizons so you know everything that the NASL has done lately is just ridiculous and I have no sympathy for a league that takes that many missteps and then tries to point the finger outward when they should be pointing it at themselves. That's all I have to say on the matter. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. You know, they, they had so many chances. And like I like I even said earlier, they had a chance a year ago to really make an impact and really bring something special to the table, but they blew the chance. And like I said, now they're going to pay the ramifications for it, you know, and kudos to USL for doing what they've done, and 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 they're gonna totally reap the benefits out of this whole thing. Right, and and the U.S. Soccer Federation doesn't have a duty to NASL. The U.S. Soccer Federation has a duty to U.S. Soccer. If one league gets it, if one league knows how to develop markets and grow fan bases, and the other league shows that they don't get it. What's the U.S. Soccer Federation going to do? They're not making the league fold, by the way. They're saying, look, we gave you both these guidelines. USL has tried to follow these guidelines. They are moving teams into bigger stadiums. They are creating new franchises in exciting potential markets. And meanwhile, you, NASL, are declining in attendance. You're going to tired existing markets and you don't understand what it takes to stay in D2. 
So yeah, I mean, going to D from D2 to D3, it's going to be a financial harm. But you put yourself open to that financial harm when you don't follow the standards. I mean, that's... I don't know what else to say there. <laughs> I don't think there is much else you can say at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Man, for us, for us USL nerds, freaking great result. I'm so happy about that. But let's let's move on before we put everyone to sleep. Um, what does this mean for the USL next year? Like you were talking about, more expansion franchises. You know, this means North Carolina FC comes in. Do you? We don't think this is going to be an increased schedule, but, you know, it could mean uh, fewer teams that you play three matches against in a season. Um, as far as, you know, some teams that you're looking to see improve, some teams you think might drop down, what are some of your thoughts on that moving forward? You know, do you, you know who would you like Very to see improve? Um, I, you know, there are a couple of teams that I, I'm kind of surprised kind of fell down this year, and I think you, you would agree in them as well. Um, obviously, Colorado Springs is one team that really kind of took it took a, a hard hit this year. I mean, they struggled at the worst time possible for them. You know, when they needed some you know, playoff positioning, couldn't get a win. All they could do is muster up a draw most times. Um, you know, another team that did, didn't fare so well, Orange County, surprisingly enough. I mean, they were a, a solid team coming out of the gate. Remember, we talked about them early in the season being a real defensive stalwart. And look at what happened to them midway through the season. Their defense just fell completely apart, you know. And and I would say one more team in the West to kind of keep an eye on this year and, and into next, uh, Salt Lake City. I mean, they are, you know, yeah, Western Conference champions, winners of the regular season championship, uh, you know. Do a couple of those players get swallowed up by the first team? Do a couple of those players not come back and go to an you know an independent team such as a Vegas or a Fresno possibly? Um, you know, obviously somebody like a Chandler Hoffman is going to definitely be interesting to watch from that club just because of what he did for that club last year. You know, we talk so many times about Salt Lake City being a club that kind of finally figured it out as a two franchise, being the fact that they figured out how to integrate talent that has played at the USL level and was out there available as free agents to integrate them with with players that are kind of on that cusp of maybe making the first team maybe not you know maybe just needing those extra you know t2 you know d2 minutes that they're going to get you know I, I think they figured it out for the most part you know did they struggle when it came to getting to the playoffs and losing to Sacramento like they did sure it is but I I think they figured out the formula. Can most of the rest of those two teams figure out that formula? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. And it'll be fun to watch. And here's a question for you. And again, so speculative. You know, we're very far away still. But of the three expansion franchises coming in next year, Las Vegas Lights, Fresno, and remember Rick Chance is part of the front office over there now. Uh, and then... Or not, not Rick Chance, excuse me. Frank Yallop is part of the front office there now in Fresno. And then Nashville. Which one of those teams do you think makes the biggest impact on USL next season? I personally think it's going to be Fresno because I know what Frank Yallop wants to do. I know what he has in mind. He's had a full year now to really plan and prepare 
hair. I think that's the one thing that that always kind of put him behind the eight ball a little bit here when he was with Arizona United slash Phoenix Rising was that he didn't have the abilities to do the things that he wanted to do. I think now that he's home, now that he's in Fresno, now that he's had the opportunity to sit back and overlook everything, I think that's going to be huge for him next year. He goes out and he finds the right man to run the soccer, you know, to run the team. He's the behind the scenes you know, general manager-esque type person that will find the right players to fit that mix. You know, I think Fresno could be really good next year. Yeah, and you know what? This is another example of USL finding a great potential market in a city that doesn't have too much else going on, a region that loves soccer, and they went out to this place and made it theirs. That opportunity was there for NASL, and they didn't. So you're right. I think Fresno is going to be good. I think Vegas might try to sign splashier names. I think Fresno probably gets better results. Um, Out east, though, I think Nashville is going to be a pretty big player right away. It seems like they have a lot of fan support already. They already have over 2,000 season ticket holders, and they're going to be playing in a baseball stadium next year. They have a group that's going to be committed to winning. They're going to be wanting to make a big splash right away. Um, because they could be in MLS in a few years, and it's looking more and more likely that they will. I think they're going to pump a lot of money into that to get it really up and running right away. They'll try to be like the Atlanta United of USL, so to speak. And, uh, you know, as far as if I had to choose one team that could really be like a conference contender in their first year, Arena, so to speak, I think it would be Nashville, just because they are going to have those deeper pockets and there's more parity in the East as well. Yeah, I totally agree with you with the parity in the East. I mean, you, you saw this year how how tight things were, you know, especially after one and two in the East were, were kind of spread out. But, you know, as far as, you know, the rest of the division, it was really tight, you know, amongst those in the East. You can say the same thing about, you know, about the West out here, how the first five teams were, all within about six points of each other, you know, and when you look back at the fact that Phoenix, you know, sits fifth in the West, would have been second in the East, you know, had they been out there with their record and their numbers, I mean, that really shows you the depth of talent that is out here out West. And like you said, with the parity in the East, if they find the right pieces to put together, I mean, they could very easily challenge Louisville and could challenge Rochester and could challenge you know, New York Red Bulls to really be that type of top team out there in the East. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's it. And so this gets into the next and biggest part of this episode, our true season recap. You know, last week we just had an interview, a couple people couldn't make it. And then the week before, it was just the immediate aftermath of that Swope match. And, you know, maybe some people were able to take a rational big-picture approach after that match. I was personally just, you know, too frustrated with the missed opportunities there. And I didn't want that to spoil a real, true season recap. And so here we are, two weeks later, we're finally doing it. Um, And the way we've structured this is looking at expectations. What were our expectations before the season, and 
you know, now looking back on it at the end of the season, were expectations met, exceeded, or, you know, just were we disappointed? They were not met. And we divided it into a few categories, you know, on-field expectations, uh, front office, MLS expansion, and building the brand. And so that's how we're going to go for it. Probably for the next 30 minutes or so, we'll just see where it goes. Um, and so they, the first category would be on-field expectations. Jeff, break this down for me. What were you expecting for Phoenix Rising in the USL this year, in the US Open Cup, and then maybe a couple players you were expecting to really make a difference for us? Well, you know, when you, you started the season, you didn't quite know where things were going to go. I mean, obviously, you know, Frank was trying to build the club at the time and trying to see where he could go. You know, obviously everybody's push was to make the playoffs. You know, you weren't sure how everybody was going to pan out. Um, you know, you would have liked to have seen a couple of wins in the Open Cup, you know, and and I think if you had been in, encroaching that, like, maybe six, seven, eight spot, made a fourth round of a cup, I think that would have probably been a successful season. You know, if I had to write something early in the beginning, that probably would have been an expectation. Um, you know, as it played out, you know, it, it's interesting how turmoil happens, you know, um, early in the season, you know, Frank leaves and, and Rick Shantz has to take over for 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 a while until you know until they find a, a, a suitable replacement which obviously ended up being Patrice Carterone. you know Rick Rick did a great job handling what he could with what he had at the time you know and then Patrice comes in and, and really changes the culture of this club I mean you know it'll it, it's so sad that you know unfortunately Patrice because he he came in in the middle of the season won't be up for a, a postseason uh, uh, coach of the year type honor because you know there there are a couple of coaches out there that'll probably be a little bit more deserving than than he is. Um, but just just to see how things changed from Frank Yallop to Rick Chance to Patrice Carteron and, and the way things shaked out and the way things happened, I you couldn't have asked for better transitions the way they happen. I mean, obviously Frank picked the right time to leave on a high, on a win, you know, to let Rick take over at a time where everybody was feeling good about themselves. You know, Rick kind of held the fort, you know, didn't let anything real bad happen. So, you know, you can look at that as a positive as well. And then obviously bringing in Patrice, you know, it, it takes a it takes a few games for everybody to get used to Patrice and his system and what he wants from his players and everything. And to see that the run that they went on, obviously, you know, that run is something, you know, we may never see from this club again um, to, to go on such a, an unbeaten streak. Uh, you'll, you'll never see that probably again in, in four or five years you know, unless, you know, you get a super lineup that just, you know, can run the table and do things like that. But success on the field? Oh, yeah. I, I think there's total success on the field. You know, yeah. 
nobody likes the fact that they lost to the Deltas in the third round of the U.S. Open Cup. But, at, you know, but at the time, I think I think the Open Cup was kind of like, a, you know, it, it was there in the minds of the players and there in the minds of the management. But I think because of what everything had been going on at the time, I don't think it was important. I think what was important was growing the group together and making sure they had found the right person that was going to lead this team going forward. You know, so I'm okay with what happened in the Open Cup. A couple of players that surprised me. I mean, everybody, you know, we all talk about Jason Johnson being the MVP of this club, but go back to, and, and we've talked this with him so many times throughout the season. You go back to the game in Reno in July, and Patrice Carteron just looked at him, did not like the 45 minutes he played, took him out, benched him the next game, and what happened after that? Jason Johnson went on a tear because somebody woke him up and somebody got him going in the right direction. You know, would I love to keep Jason Johnson around next year? Yeah, I would love to have him back on this roster next year. As long as he's not going somewhere else in the USL, I'm okay with him leaving. If, if he gets an MLS job handed to him somewhere, by all means, Jason, go grab it. You know, but it, but if you're not going to MLS next year, please, please, do not leave Phoenix Rising for somewhere else. Um, another player that really surprised me this year, and I, and I think this one may surprise you a little bit. We bagged on Cody Wakasa so badly this year for the oh, yeah. for, for the for the times that he you know the times he did wrong, the times he played bad, the times he played horrible. But for a first-year player to come in and to really own that right-back position and to, to do what he had done for most of the year, I was pleasantly surprised with his efforts. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. I think, you know, we've, I think we may have found, now that he has a year of professional experience under his belt, I think we may have found the right guy that might lead us in the next year or two in that right-back position. We obviously have a couple of guys on the left-hand side that if they stay around, I mean, obviously Amadou Dia sounds like he's staying. You know, if Victor Vasquez stays around next year, you know, I think you have a great outside-back tandem if, if that all holds true. And if you find that middle defensive piece, you know, I think the back four could be even stronger next year than what it is this year. And with a, and with a great goaltending tandem with Josh Cohen and Carl Wazinski, hoping that they both stay around. I mean, that you want to talk about contending for some, some real possible honors as far as, you know, maybe being a, a defensive team of the year, uh, you know, you know, Josh, you know, or Carl, whichever one ends up getting the, the, you know, the starting nod, you know, if they fight, you know, maybe for a golden glove award because the back line is so stellar, uh, you know, I think that could be something that could really be, you know, a positive step going forward this, you know, this next season. Yeah. As, as far as on field, you made so many good points. Uh, really tough to say that this wasn't a big success especially comparing to what the preseason expectations were. I mean, yeah, you bring in a big name like Bravo, and you bring in, you know, some of the other guys, um, Mike, Seth, a couple others, and you're thinking, all right, this is going to be the year that you break the playoff drought. 
and you know you can check the tape I did predict this season to go almost exactly the way it did kind of struggling early on fringes of the playoff uh, hunt as all these new pieces are coming together and then to really take off in the later parts of the year and have a top three form to finish somewhere in the mid four or five range that's what I said before the season that's pretty much how it turned out so uh, now that I've patted myself on the back um, you know I guess they did meet that expectation and maybe that was a pretty high expectation it sure looked pretty high for the first four months of the year but um, you know did any of us expect it to happen the way it did with three coaches in the first three months of the season with Omar Bravo scoring one goal in USL competition and two goals in all competitions no did any of us expect it to happen where we're getting you know five or six players foreign players mid-season into our 25-man roster with several of them making massive impacts guys like Amadou Dia uh, guys like Duiji Mala Awako of course not so you know as far as you know what were the expectations yeah they were met not exceeded but met the goal is playoffs we made playoffs how it happened that completely exceeded my expectations and of course the biggest thing is Didier Drogba because no one had any idea other than Burke Bakai and maybe a couple other people in the front office that that was even a possibility until after the first few games Bravo was going to be the big name and then all of a sudden we get this Drogba news out of nowhere like a bomb um, so how it happened completely exceeds the expectations uh, as far as players that met or didn't meet expectations I mean it's tough to really judge a lot of the guys that came in mid-season so like you I'll focus on some people that were here from day one and I was really impressed with Alessandro Rigi um, in the preseason he looked like he would just be maybe an impact sub a spark plug kind of guy but he showed he could come in as a starter and make a huge impact and score some beautiful goals and give us a couple nice dances with it um, big time guy that exceeded expectations uh, another one maybe you don't know what to expect with Josh Cohen coming out from Orange County this season all that dude does is put in great shifts in the first half so many weeks we could have lost by three or four goals but he kept us in those matches especially you go back and look at how we made the playoffs and how we just hung around in the first half of the season how many of those matches were we down one nil and it could have been two or three nil but Cohen kept us in it and then we rallied for two goals in the second half or we rallied for a draw there were so many matches like that and you have to say Josh Cohen got the job done in all those matches then he loses his job for a while gets it back when Waz goes down with an injury and then he just balls out and gets September USL player of the month so that's incredible and you don't know what to expect there and then he just comes out and blows people's minds with some of the saves he makes especially the Reno match and then you know the elephant in the room as far as maybe players that didn't meet expectations Omar Bravo I mean yeah he was he was in his upper 30s at 37 I believe but you still think a guy with that kind of experience and knows for the goal 
uh, he had shown it at such a high level for so long would be able to duplicate some of that success. Unfortunately, it didn't quite happen. He got pretty unlucky a couple matches. There was, I think, the OKC game. He had a great shot, and it actually got blocked by a teammate. There were a couple other ones. He kind of got unlucky. Um, hit the post once or twice. It is what it is, but... Uh, another guy that was a little bit underwhelming was, you know, Mike Seth. And I think he was a guy that had such a great season in 2016 with Colorado Springs. And I think he was just a casualty of the team's philosophy and priorities shifting, uh, you know, as our coaches shifted from Gallup to, Sh to Chance to um, Patrice Carterone. And we just brought in so many players and you know, found Jason Johnson out of nowhere just becoming an absolute stud. He kind of took Mike Seth's role that maybe people were hoping he would take, and he just ran with it this season. So maybe a tough break for Seth, um, but I'm sure he's still got some, some career left in him. I'm sure he's going to impress somewhere else. I know San Antonio picked him up, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that happens. But um, maybe wanted to see a little bit more out of him this season. And just for whatever reason, didn't quite work out. But, yep, as, as far as what you were saying, Jeff, this is a great success on the field. You know, making the playoffs first time in franchise history, setting a club record, being the sixth best team out of 30 in the league. People say fifth in the West. That diminishes it a little bit. We were the sixth best team in a 30-team league, and that's pretty impressive. 11-game um, winning streak, too, like... Or, or 11 game non-losing streak I should say but uh, you know the point remains is an unbelievable run that might never be repeated so I think the next category we want to talk about expectation wise is the front office and so what were your expectations before the season as far as their decision making and their availability and did they exceed it you know I don't think we knew what to expect to start I mean Burke Bakai comes in August of 2016, purchases the team, you know, right before the end of that season. We're not sure what his goals are. We're not sure what his plans are. But right out of the gate, you know, within three months, he's got a stadium plan out there. And he's got a plan for making things work on a piece of land that nobody knew was even able to be had, you know, that would even entertain the idea of putting a soccer field on it you know and then you look and 52 days later you see this beautiful 6,000 seat stadium pop up right out of the middle of nowhere you watch you know you watch all the drone videos of them you know surveying the site and you know leveling the leveling the ground so that a soccer field could be laid and you know, 52 days later, you're playing in front of 6,000 plus fans, you know, for your first ever soccer game in this new beautiful complex. And, you know, what they did was nothing short of spectacular. I mean, 
the front out, you always saw every time you would go to a game, you'd always see somebody from the front office out and around the complex, whether it was Burke walking the grounds, whether it was Brett Johnson walking the grounds, whether it was David Rappaport flying in from New York to see his, you know, to, to take part in festivities. Um, you know, these guys have been nothing but accessible the entire time. They have always been willing to talk whether it's on the record, off the record, whatever the case may be, they didn't have to they didn't have to make time for any of us and yet they always were. David Rappaport made time for a 30 minute interview that we played on this podcast, you know, middle of this season. Uh, Burke Bakai and I have had, you know, a, a couple of conversations, you know, just off record but but have been solid conversations. Same with Brett Johnson. They had a couple of great conversations with him. Bobby Dooley. I mean, these guys want to get the name out, want to get the brand out. And hey, that's what they've done. Filled the stadium up every single week. You can't ask for anything better. You know, you go from 1,500 fans a week in Scottsdale and in Peoria in the past three years, and you go to fill in 6,000 6, plus seats per game. You even get 5,000 plus out to a Wednesday game. You could have never seen that two and three years ago to get that number of people out to a, to a Wednesday night game. But, you know, they have done great. They have taken people like Tim Reister and used his, his, uh, his, his capabilities and used his contacts and have done great things. And, you know, it's, it's only going to be great to see what things they do going ahead. Obviously the biggest thing that sits in front of them right now is MLS expansion. And hopefully in the next month, we'll find out something about that. Will we be one of the first two teams? Who knows? If we're not, will we, will we be disappointed? Maybe a little bit. But I think if it doesn't happen, I think the one thing you can take solace in the fact is that these guys are staying on the ball. They're staying on top of things. They're asking the right questions from MLS executives. They're trying to find out what they need. You know, are they missing one element? Could they be missing that quote-unquote million-dollar-plus owner that they need? Who knows? Is that what's holding up Phoenix? We don't know the answers to those questions. Will we ever get the answers to those questions? Maybe, maybe not. But at least we know where they stand. We know where they feel. We know what they want to do. So, I mean, kudos to the front end office. I think they've done a great job, you know, and I'm looking forward to more greater things as we move forward, you know, you know, with this ownership group this next year. Yeah, I mean, you, you really, as far as availability, um, impossible to top that. They've made themselves available at home matches, at away matches for pictures and to talk to fans. Uh, they've made themselves available... You know, even off the field at a preseason season ticket holder event when I was able to talk to Burke. Uh, they've made themselves available at, you know, community events too. These guys, I mean, Sam Dorr, last week or a couple weeks ago, he gives that great message after the season ends. We reach out, hey, care to discuss this? And the very next day, we get the interview with him. So from that standpoint, what more could you ask for? Of course that's exceeding expectations. And then as far as decision making, they brought Didier Drogba to Phoenix. How do you top that? Um, you know, they have some bright minds up there, some people that are really on the right track, unified in their goal to bring 
the best soccer franchise to Phoenix they can they can do. And obviously everyone wants to go to MLS, but it's like Sam Dor was saying, regardless of whether we get there or not, this franchise is going to be in Phoenix for the long haul and it has a very bright future. Um, and you have to give all the credit to the front office for that because, you know, compared to where this team was last year in that department, it is day and night. Um, and then, yeah, that, that goes into MLS expansion, which you touched on a little bit, but this one's good to break down into subcategories, I think. What were your expectations on our local effort to bring MLS to Phoenix? And then what were your expectations before the season on how it would shake out around the league? And then, you know, have those expectations been met or has it been pretty surprising? Well, you know, I I think we were all kind of maybe caught off guard a little bit back in January when MLS did ask them to put in an application. You know, I think it was surprising that it came so late in the process, you know, that I, I don't think we knew what to expect at that point, you know. Wow, you know, I, I think the initial reaction was, "Wow, you know, MLS wants us to file an application." Well, that's great, you know, but do you know? But then you, you know, when that whole process started, you're sitting there thinking, "Well, do we have all the right boxes checked? Do we have everything that they would want? Where would we play? What would we do? You know, that kind of stuff." They had the MLS uh, expansion. A committee come out and sit down with them for two days and, and go over a lot of things. Obviously, they've they've worked out a lot of things. Not only, you know, sounds like that possibly ASU is going to be part of the plan as far as, you know, letting them use Sun Devil Stadium, you know, if, if the bid goes through and they put shovels in the ground right away. So that, you know, that was that was good news to hear for them to see how they've built the brand up from the bottom up you know, it was great for something for MLS people to see, you know, obviously MLS knows that they have a hotbed as far as television marketing in this area, because we are one of the top uh, TV markets that doesn't have an MLS franchise right now. The only one that's even in the same range as we are basically, you know, is Nashville at this point. Um, Have we checked all the boxes off? I think we have. I mean, like I said, we haven't heard from MLS executives that tell us, are we doing the right things? Are we doing the wrong things? What have we done? What haven't we done? And maybe we'll find out some of those answers in December when the decisions are finally made. They've probably exceeded my expectations just because of the whole process and how it's played out and how quickly they've been able to put things together. I wonder, I've, I've often wondered at times as to whether them asking us at the last minute to submit a bid has always kind of been a little bit of a a hindrance for us as far as probably being one of the first two franchises out the gate i still kind of i still kind of hold those feelings a little bit you know but am i am i okay if they don't if they're not in the first two i think i would be okay but if they don't make the second two then i think we're really asking questions is what didn't we do and why why is Phoenix not a viable market at that point? I mean, obviously, we're showing that we're a viable market by the increase in the attendance, you know, just in from 2016 to 2017 alone. I think it's showing that soccer is important in the Valley. I think it shows that, you know, 
things will be on the uptick as you continue to go on with this new uh, friend, uh, ownership group and everything. I think that's going to be a big help you know, as we go forward. Obviously, the big question is, how does the stadium play out and all this? What is it going to look like? How is it going to be climate controlled? You know, we will get those answers eventually from the club, I believe. You know, that, you know those will all be things that, that you know, you've been to, you know, you yourself, Dominic, was at a focus group a few months back, which talked about a lot of these things, ticket pricing, concessions, seating arrangement, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So, it, you know, it really shows that, that the ownership group cares and that they really want to put every effort that they want into this. And I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled over the moon of, as to what they've done so far. And as far as expectations, I think they've definitely exceeded them no matter what the end result is. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the only thing I could say that, you know, maybe some fans were, a little bit frustrated about is that there hasn't been a stadium rendering yet you know a final design chosen but you have to remember too that the MLS doesn't make its decision until December 19th and so a lot can change between now and then perhaps the team just wants to make sure that now that the season's over they have everyone on board in this decision-making process and maybe they're just waiting for the right time after the USL Cup to own the news cycle, so to speak, and then make that announcement before the MLS decides, hey, he's these are the two teams that are going to move up. You know, I still do think that there's a pretty good likelihood it's going to be Sacramento and Nashville for the first two teams going up, just because Sacramento has been on the cusp for such a long time. I don't know how the MLS can continue denying them for too much longer. Um... You know, I'm not a huge fan of Nashville using some public money. I understand that they're not using a large percentage with public money, but still, you would think that a bid only using private financing would would be looked upon more favorably. Perhaps that's not the case. Um, so, yeah, the emergence of Nashville's bid was a little bit surprising, but, you know, you can't change the past. You just have to move forward. And I did see an article last week that still had us as the second highest among Western Conference potential expansion sites. Um, They had us ranked fifth behind Nashville, Sacramento, Cincinnati, and Detroit. And I don't think there's any possibility that both Cincinnati and Detroit get two MLS teams. I think you got to choose one, not the other. And so then that would open up that fourth spot for one of us Sacramento or, or San Antonio and maybe San Diego. I have to like our chances out of those three, unless San Diego can really show some things that they haven't shown before. But even if they do, you have to think about it. You're really going to put five MLS teams in California before you put one in Arizona. If you're looking at a market uh, view on this issue, if you're looking at trying to reach out to new markets, I think it would be pretty foolish to ignore Arizona's growth, the fact that we already care so much about soccer, and you know, the ability to reach out to such a large uh, market minority population, uh, a market where there are so many young millennials there. Um, I think all those factors bode really well for us making it in that second round, and so I think the front office has done enough to keep us in the conversation and. 
you know, have us looking like an attractive option, if not this time, the next. Uh, yeah, and I guess around the league, for the most part, I mean, it's tough to even say what you really expected there. So, other than Nashville just coming out of nowhere, which was maybe unfortunate, but I don't think it's going to affect us too much. And uh, I, I have it listed here, but I, I don't think we need to discuss it too much. Building the brand, I think we can both say, has been a resounding success. When you look at where this team was eight months ago, no one knew who Phoenix Rising was. No one, a lot of people didn't even know there was a local soccer franchise um, that played professionally in Arizona. And now you can go into any just sports location and find Phoenix Rising gear. Now you can see the rising billboards on the freeway. Now when I say that, you know, I do a podcast, Phoenix Rising, they're like, oh, yeah, I've heard of them. They play near near the 202, right? Uh, it wasn't there that pop-up stadium. Don't don't they have that? They have JDA Drogba, right? So people are aware now. People know what's going on. And, you know, that is all because of the great job that this front office has done. Uh, and I think the brand will continue to grow once we have a full off season and bring in maybe one or two more big names. So, I mean, there's no way you can't say that they've exceeded expectations there, right? Yeah, there's no there's no way you can say they didn't exceed expectations. I mean, like, you know, like you said, you think about back to the days when they were Arizona United before they became Phoenix Rising FC, and we appreciate the efforts, and we've, we've applauded it a number of times in the past, you know, of what Kyle Ng did to save the franchise and keep it in Arizona, but obviously wasn't quite using his advertising skills to his full potential. You know, now we have an ownership group that has multiple people in it that have advertising backgrounds that are using their abilities to their best, getting the word out, getting the name out. Uh, obviously, you know, big money behind it now. You've got, you know, like you said, we've got a clothing line you know, now at a local sports shop here with Just Sports. You've got billboards up all over the place. You've got people talking about it no matter where you are. You know, obviously getting Omar Bravo in here beginning, you know, was was key to, to landing the, the, the Hispanic community and getting them on board behind soccer, um, you know, because obviously that's, that's big with them. I mean, obviously getting Didier Drogba just made it even bigger uh, impact, you know, you know, fans who know soccer know the biggest name in the world. You know, one of the biggest names of the world is coming to play in your stadium. You know, you had a Sean Wright Phillips, you had an Alessandro Rigi. You know, it's just what they've done is is great, wonderful, beautiful. Um, we only expect bigger and better things as next year comes. You know, we'll see what what they plan to do, but obviously, you know. Everybody knows the goal in mind is MLS, and we know that they'll at one point get get there. Hopefully, you know, it may take us a while, but that's okay. That's you know, when you know when you want to do something, you always want to do it right, and you want to do it not just you know putting half effort into it. You want to put your full hundred percent effort into it. You know, I mean, take a look at you know the 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 best example I can I can give is is you look back at the beginning of the season, the first game everybody complained about the parking situation phoenix rising met as an ownership group two days later 
maybe not all in the same room, but whether they were all on conference call, in the same room, whatever the case may be, they all sat down and said, we need to fix the situation. Did they fix the situation for the most part? Yes, they did. You know, still some little hiccups here and there and still some little things that they need to work on that I've heard they wanted to try to get done, but certain things were not allowed to let them get things done. And so now maybe that they have a full off season to prepare for these things, they can go back to the proper channels and say, okay, we'd like to do A, B, and C to improve things here. You know, now, now that they have the time to do this, they can sit there and put a full plan together and really look at what the next steps are going to be. And that's what I like about this this ownership group is that they're willing to take the time and look at things. You know, David uh, you know David Rappaport has has a supporters group uh, conference call every two weeks to go over things that are happening in their section. Got things handled when there was a controversial situation in the middle of the season. Um, did it all work out eventually it did yeah you know did it take some some work to get it done yeah because it because when when the situation happened i saw david rapaport scramble all of a sudden to get over to the section and to get it handled and what a way to handle it is to sit there and go face to face and sit there and talk with the individuals involved and it was great to see that he was calm level-headed not allowing the situation to get overblown and was able to talk to everybody and make sure it was working properly. You can't ask for anything better than that to, to have an ownership group that cares. And I think that's the biggest thing that we look at throughout this whole thing is you have an ownership group that cares and really puts forth a front foot to make sure that everything is right and everything is the way that it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, you have hit the nail on the head once again, and I think this gets into our final question, which is, what are the expectations for next year? I mean, in the interview with Sam Dorr, we heard his expectations for next year, but what are your expectations for next year? Wow, expectations for next year. Well, obviously, the the first and foremost on the field product is you, you definitely want to match, if not even improve on, you know, what you did in in, in league play is, you know, be a be a top four team, have that couple of rounds of playoff, you know, under your belt to be able to do the things that you need to do. Um, obviously, player signings are going to be key. It'll be interesting to see what Patrice Carterone does to bring talent on board. I mean, obviously, you've got to, you know. You're going to have to, to mix that, that group of international players, you know, with a group of players that, you know, you can be able to, to not have to worry about certain roster exemption, roster, you know, spots, stuff like that, you know, and, and I think Patrice will be able to do that, you know, great, you know, it's a great staff. He'll now have a full year under his belt to, to really work on these players and to get them set up in the way that he wants to. Obviously, we believe that the system looks like it will be a 4-2-3-1 you know as as we move forward I think that was the system that Patrice seemed to favor and seemed to like and seemed to want to run so I would not be surprised seeing that forward and you see the signing of certain players that make it affordable for players to fit the, the certain positions they do obviously what do you want to see on the front office end you, you know you want to see more of the same you want to see uh, some you know maybe you want to see some improvements on uh, amenities that you have inside the stadium you may want to see 
you know improvements as far as the parking situation goes I think they handled the ticket situation properly by instead of charging for parking you add the you add the parking price onto onto the ticket I think that's the greatest way to do things I mean I think other professional franchises should consider doing the same thing personally you want to eliminate having to deal with parking issues all the time attach the fee to the attach the the fee to the ticket and that way everybody's going to everybody's going to park where they're going to want to park and you're getting your full revenue like you exactly wanted i i don't think there's any problem in asking for that if you're any professional franchise in this town and i think phoenix rising wanted to, you know went about it the right way and did it the right way um you know players have always been accessible to us they've always willing to talk enjoy talking to them they've always enjoyed talking to us and have never had any problems with us you know you you know you can only expect bigger and better things as we move forward you know hopefully as as we go forward we'll have more player interviews for you throughout the year uh you know we'll we'll have more opportunities to sit down with people and and you know do some some interesting fun one-on-one type things you know that'll that'll be fun things to do you know we always like to hear from you guys what are the things that you want to hear we love doing this show every single week don't get me wrong but we do it for you the fans and if you the fans aren't getting exactly what you want we want to know what you want hit us up on our facebook page hit us up on twitter hit us up on our email at risingpod at gmail.com you know we want to know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong we know you love listening to the podcast because we see the numbers every single week, you know. But we want to make this a show for you guys, and we want to make sure that what we're giving you is what you want to hear every single week. One hundred percent agree on that last point. And uh, as far as expectations for next season, I think this year was, you know, really grinding and putting in the work to get the name recognition, to get the team to a level where we can compete for championships, uh, to get to a place where people recognize who we are. And next year is going to be about building, building the brand, you know, building a championship caliber team, building one of the best, I mean, maybe the best in stadium USL experience because I think this year we were up there, but, you know, there's always room for improvement. I've seen with you know the parking, they ran out of beer at that uh, dollar beer night. So there are always there are always ways to improve. But um, yeah, as as far as on field, I think you have to look at this as a title or bust kind of season. Now that we're gonna have a full off season to implement Patrice Carterone's, you know, philosophy, his defense first schemes, we'll be able to bring in more players. We'll have a full preseason. And not have to deal with guys coming in at the very last second. I mean, poor Cody Wakasa gets signed the day before season opener. And then he's thrown out to the wind in our starting 11 the very next day. I don't think you're going to see too much of that moving forward. Um, yeah, and I think we can be a championship contender. I think that's what we have to hold the team to after well how they performed in the second half of the season. Um, you know... This year was about playoffs or bust. I think next year needs to be at least a home playoff win or bust. You know, maybe not a title, but you want to be in that conversation of like three, four teams that have the best chance to win it all. And there's really no reason we can't be based on how we played. 
Arizona as a market is dying for a winning franchise, dying for a team that gets it, that gets what fans want, that understands what it takes to win, that plays with style. You know, we don't just grind out results. We play a great style. And I think that's what you're going to see next season. Um, you're going to see a team that can score in bunches. You're going to see a team that's ruthless at the back. Uh, you know, you might unfortunately see one or two beloved faces, um, you know, be released or be picked up by another team. And unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I, I think we will make that next step on the field. And then off the field, same deal. Just about building the brand. Uh, you know, getting that, getting those uh, matches into more households locally. Um, getting the merchandise available in more stores. I mean, the fact that we already are in all the places we are is great. Uh, but really getting the outreach going before the season starts this year we have such a head start last year it was all blur and people were saying oh there's no way they're even going to be ready for opening day there's nothing there and it's two months before kickoff now we've made our presence felt and now next year is just going to be about building on it and i think that's what you can expect on the field and off um especially if didier drogba comes back and uh, is ready to join us from day one next season. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be thinking title or bust. Um, and at the very least, be a very strong team. So, yeah. And then as far as as far as far front office, they've already shown us the gold standard, so I don't really see how you can improve on that too much. Um, so, yeah, just a good time to be a rising fan and just keep building on the successes we've had and you know, even with our podcast, too, we need to keep building, too. So, like Jeff was saying, hold us accountable. If there are things you want to hear, let us know. If we make a mistake, let us know. Um, we got that a couple times, and it was really helpful. So, you know, feedback is great. It helps us improve, just like the team, just like the front office. And uh, we look forward to, you know, continuing to give you guys a great show and keep supporting the rising um one other thing that we should note we will only be broadcasting every other week during the off season until about late february um you know everyone needs a break even us and we might do some fun topics over the next few months since it is the off season but jeff i think that's all we got i mean we've we've covered a lot of ground today yeah we have and it's you know it's always a pleasure to have Dominic talking here with us and it's always a pleasure talking Phoenix Rising soccer and you know it's you know while while it's never fun to be talking during an off season period it's always fun to talk soccer no matter what so you know thanks a lot everybody for listening thank you go rising and we will see you again in 2 weeks goodbye goodbye